All right, guys, uh, this is Chad Robo Show with The Robo Show, and uh, uh, I had been on a kind of hiatus from episodes, so I I'm appreciate everyone waiting, but we're coming back with a good guest. Again, I was out because of, uh, because of being away in Ukraine and, and working on evacuations rescues there with an amazing team from uh, both Mighty Oaks Foundation and Save Our Allies, uh, and we're, we're still doing a lot of work there. I'm home on break right now, and uh, so... Coming back with a new episode, and uh, but I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, a fellow Marine from the Special Operations community, uh, Fred Galvin, who served 27 Marine, uh, years in the Marine Corps, starting as enlisted at 17 years old. Uh, we have a lot in common there. I want to ask when he gets on, how, how many, what year did he start? Because I'm thinking we might be around the same generation. Uh, but he served in, in Iraq, Kuwait, Afghanistan. Uh, he was uh, part of... Uh, uh, the special operations community has a bronze star, um, and he, uh, he since then he's done a lot in the nonprofit world for veterans community and veterans families, and he's written um, an, uh, an incredible book. I haven't read the whole thing, but from what I read so far, uh, I'm just eager to, to to get in and 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 complete it. It's called A Few Bad Men, which if you're familiar with our beloved Marine Corps, A Few Good Men, and, uh, and so there's a few bad men in the Marine Corps, and you can take that either way. Uh, there's not always good good people in any great organization, but there's also, uh, in, in the Marine Corps, there's a few, uh, badasses in the Marine Corps and, uh, Fred's one of them. So Fred, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Chad. I appreciate uh, having me as your guest. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think the audience uh, and on this show will really resonate with the story you have in the book. Uh, but before we get into the book, I want to, well, first I want to ask you, what year did you go to the Marine Corps? 1987. 1987. So you're, you're, I came in 93 uh, so you're a little, little ahead of me, but when you've seen 27 years, I'm like, man, we're probably close to the same generation. And uh, I don't know if you know, my father was a Marine and both my sons are Marines, so a uh, big Marine Corps family here. Um, but yeah, we probably were around the same places near the same times, nonetheless. But uh, can you tell us a little bit before we start in the book about your Marine Corps career? Uh, what, what, what led you? I always, I'm always interested in what led people to the Marine Corps. Uh, lots of options, not serving in the military or the other branches, but what led you to the Marine Corps and, and a little bit about your Marine Corps career? Uh, real quickly, um, our family went to uh, some of the Revolutionary War battlefields when I was 10 years old, and uh, we we're you know, from Kansas, so I had never seen anything like that uh, before in my life. Uh, unfortunately, the schools really didn't cover that in depth, but uh, we went there and several of the park rangers at uh, like the winter encampment at Valley Forge and uh, uh, Yorktown Battlefield, you know, you're hearing how uh, these American soldiers, you know, fought against like tremendous odds or in case like Valley Forge just, you know, froze and, you know, very hungry is, is miserable and they overcame that. And uh, me having been involved in martial arts, I, that resonated in my head like, gosh, man, these guys were, I couldn't imagine being in these types of conditions and, um, you know, people fighting. And then it wasn't until high school that there was this, uh, fellow student that mentioned, Hey, if you really want the action, the Marines, they're the first to fight. And if, uh, if that's what you want to do, you got to join the Marine Corps. So actually, uh, that guy, he was a lot of talk because on spring break that year, he went, uh, down to one of these, spring break locations and smoke some dope and then the recruiter said hey you uh your ship date's not for like a couple months but you can take his and you can leave like a week after graduating high school so i was 
I was like, man, I, that's too good to be true. And then uh, there I was, boot camp in San Diego, um, which I enjoyed. And that uh, ultimately led me to, uh, I remember on a workup, I took the first recon battalion in doc, ran into a guy from my high school that was, uh, we were both corporals at that time and ran into him in the chow hall. He said, hey, you got to take this in doc. You got to get over here to first recon. And so I did and uh, ended up that my company chain of command thought I was trying to get out of that deployment. Uh, kind of got a bad reputation for that. And then anyway, we, we went on to deployment uh, to Desert Shield, Desert Storm on the USS Tarawa with Regimental Landing Team 5, came back. Uh, our company XO still looked at me like I was uh, disloyal. And uh, anyway, that led me to uh, go on got out of the Marines, went to college and uh, started as a broker for two years selling stocks and then went to, uh, I wanted to get back in the Marines. Marine Corps was downsizing, couldn't uh, get back in as enlisted Marine. I was a Sergeant at that time. So they just, they didn't need that many of those ranks. So I went to uh, apply for a commissioning package and got accepted and went in uh, as an officer and became an infantry officer and went back to California again. So, and then uh, got into force reconnaissance, uh, served at both in Okinawa, what was fifth force recon and then first force recon in Camp Pendleton and then uh, Marine Special Operations Command. So then I retired in 2014. Yeah, we definitely uh, crossed some paths there. When you went to, when you went over to First Recon Battalion, did you happen to get in doctor or go through RIP with uh, Fitzgerald, Chief Fitzgerald? No, I know who Chief Fitzgerald is. We didn't serve together. The uh, and I never went to First Recon Battalion. I just took the end doc there. And then when I was a lieutenant, and uh, I was stationed there in First Marine Division, I took the end doc at First Force Recon Company, and then due to availability, um, monitor the assignments officer said, hey, um, you can wait like a year. And I knew that would require another deployment, which at that time you're kind of senior and with officers, it's kind of like a game because you have a narrow window to, to execute that. So I went over to, he said, I can send you to Okinawa if you want to be a force recon platoon commander there. And I went over to a fifth force recon and eventually um, there was a shooting incident that happened in 2002 out on range 131 where a Marine uh, shot a role player. They went from live fire combat drills to blank fire raid and uh, a Marine role player was accidentally shot due to uh, uh, not proper inspections. But anyway, they relieved those in the chain of command and they brought me in from uh, that time I was stationed in Yuma and I served in at first force recon as a platoon commander there from 02 to 06. Right on some good, good billets. So what, uh, what inspired you to write the book, a few, a few bad men. And, uh, and I guess before you really get into it, can you give some clarity on, on the title? I'm just super interested in the title. So like you said, Chad, one of the monikers in the Marines and there's several of them, like always faithful, the first to fight. And, uh, you know, the Marine Corps used to have this recruiting poster, probably when both you and I were getting in, it said, we we're looking for a few good men. And uh, obviously there's a movie called A Few Good Men, and which is based on a true story. This is also nonfiction. And so 
and what we mean by the title is the Marine Corps is a great organization and uh, Marines have fought for almost 250 years, you know, protecting our nation's liberties and our freedoms that our constitution provides. However, there are a few bad men and what this book describes, it's not some, it's not at all a pity party. It's about a, it focuses on some events that occurred in Afghanistan. We were the first Marine Special Operations Company that deployed and they sent us into Afghanistan. And while we were there on one of these missions right next to the Afghan-Pakistan border, we were going in to do a tribal leader engagement. And as we were going into the village, we saw the atmospherics had changed from when we passed through earlier that day. And basically everybody's lined up on the side of the road. And then we got hit with a car bomb. And then we started taking action uh, from a vehicle that was firing with some jihadist fully automatic fire from our left. Quickly aimed, killed them. Another uh, on the right side of us in a dry riverbed, there's dismounted forces bounding at us, firing. And uh, of course, uh, we aimed in, killed them. And then, uh, but there was a vehicle that dra got dragged across the road and then a mob that formed at us while we were hit, getting hit with sniper fire. And so, but we quickly uh, made our report. And then we uh, decided not to do the tribal leader engagements. Obviously, we were in a town that had bad sentiment. Uh, <clears throat> and we knew that there was four suicide bombers in that town. Uh, that's our reason for going in there, but uh, we didn't really want to stick around and get blown up by all four. So when we returned to base, the reports that already came out on the BBC that uh, we had killed, you know, women and children. And then the, the numbers continued to go up and up and up. And this was the largest number of alleged, falsely alleged Afghan civilians who were killed uh, from direct fire weapons, and then uh, that led to a investigation, criminal investigation, and a trial uh, focused on the seven of us. Ultimately, myself and one other Marine, we went into. We were the ones that were the defendants in what was the longest courtroom trial in Marine Corps history, in which we were exonerated. However, there's a lot of details, and I don't want to do a spoiler, but the book does describe how the convening authority, the you know the and the colonel, who was the senior officer, basically like the judge in our case, would continue to go to classified session every time we'd have a defense witness, anyone with exculpatory evidence that was exonerating us. They would remove the media. I mean, this was a gun battle, Chad. So again, this is not locations of submarines at sea or that orbits the satellites. This is street fight with guns. And uh, so the media kept getting escorted out and Although the jury heard the whole story and we were acquitted, the media heard one side of the story. And, and essentially that is, as we know, let's call for what it is, it's censorship. And when you see what's happening in the military uh, with the, at, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, people trying to whitewash this and say everything was great. And uh, the American public, they they know better because they saw what really happened in, in many cases, not all the fine details of the withdrawal from Afghanistan or the retreat. But in this case, in the book, A Few Bad Men, that's uh, the most senior leaders in the Marine Corps and in the special operations community decided, and this was intentional, we're going to cover this up. Uh, we've seen this 
unfortunately, when just like in the Pat Tillman case, things don't go so pretty combat. It's, you know, it is not a, it's not a noun, it's a verb and it's things happen that you don't have total control of. And they're not always pretty, but, um, when people decide, Hey, this is how we're going to sell this to the American public. That's, uh, especially in a case where it ruins people's professional careers. You have like destruction of future opportunities. That's, that's the title. A few bad men is it exposes, this isn't Fred Galvin's hearsay or my version of this is what these guys said in court under sworn testimony. Now that's what we took 11 years to get declassified. Um, that we should, should have never been declassified. And much of what also those leaders said was said publicly to the press during criminal investigations. So it's, it's literally their words verbatim. It's not uh, here or there. Sorry. What years were, what year did the incident happen? What year was, what year did the court case so, take place? Okay. We, we formed the very first Marine Special Operations Task Force in 2006. We deployed to Afghanistan in 2007. Uh, there was a investigation that lasted nine months. And then we went into trial from the 7th to the 29th of January in 2008. And uh, conveniently for the Marine Corps, uh, they decided to wait to deliberate for four months. And there's few, few periods where the Pentagon goes down to a small skeleton staff for uh, long weekends. And on Memorial Day, four days after the court, or four, sorry, four months, four entire months, they decided to use non-legal terms. And we, we have been in, you know, sometimes the first sergeant will bring you in to hear a non-judicial punishment or some type of military justice case. And you hear that there's, there's three types of legal terms used. It's you're either innocent, you're guilty, or it's dismissed. And our case, you know, it's a it's a war crimes trial, and they said we acted appropriately. So they dumped this on a Friday night, four months. You know, I can't prove that that was unintentional. It just seems very coincidental that they waited four entire months for the largest number of alleged civilians killed, and they didn't use any legal terms. They just said that we acted appropriately, and that led to further riots in Afghanistan and everybody saying that we got away with mass murder. Uh, when that's out there in the New York Times and the Washington Post and all over the, you know, international media, good luck on trying to get a job afterwards. And that's kind of what uh, led to the professional destruction. But this book is about overcoming that and fighting a long-term campaign and having something greater than yourself. Um, you know, my faith in God is what allowed us to fight and and win. Uh, there's this is a book. People don't believe in miracles. Well, read this book and you'll see like, how come this guy went through two court cases? And at that time, the Marine Corps had a 96% conviction rate. I mean, not just combat, but in the courtroom, which is a, what a lot of this book is, mixture of both. It's like, a, it's like a cross between American Sniper and a few good men. So if you like action, you like nonfiction courtroom drama, sort of like a a few good men had this is a this is a book that i encourage the readers and now that also has audio version um uh, and it's got pictures you know marines we like pictures we like pictures uh, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well yeah i can't think well, what can't wait to finish it and um 
Uh, so I'm guessing what in, you know what inspired you to write it was getting the truth out and uh, and telling the story of uh, overcoming. And uh, I'm, I'm a strong person of faith too. I believe God's hand has orchestrated most of the, if not all of the uh, obstacles I've faced in my life. You know, God has orchestrated ways for me to overcome those and give me the strength to overcome those and ultimately make good out of terrible things. And uh, and I'm, I'm gathering that's what that's what this book is to you. Yes, it is. What uh? What do you think the biggest takeaway for a reader would be from from this book? You know, one of the biggest takeaways, and I believe you definitely can relate to this, Chad. And I'm sure once you finish it, you'll see in the end. Just because your your background as a fighter is when when you look at an enemy and or a situation in life, whether that could be cancer, somebody having a job, whether they're fired or a job, uh, you know, with COVID, a lot of jobs went away. Um, a lot of people face similar but different types of circumstances. And it's to have a faith and a mindset that, you know, you will fight, you will use every cell in your body, every ounce of energy to, you know, to attack. And you have to have that long-term vision that this is, you know, it, it may be painful, it may be ugly, it may be discouraging, but you have to have that mindset of a leader that you will continue to advance and you will continue to hit and strike until, you know, the situation improves. And that sometimes, like in this case, this happened 15 years ago. Uh, the Marine Corps has still, people say, well, the Pentagon did finally come public and clear you. That is true. However, along that long road, you know, we had an act of Congress, you know, bipartisan and bicameral support. They were you know, they approached the Commandant of the Marine Corps with a bill and, you know, asking to completely clear our names and the Commandant nor any Marine general officer in uniform has ever said it made any type of changes. They just, it's still to them, we acted appropriately. The, one, the ones that exonerated us were senior civilian officials in the Department of the Navy, wrote a 12-page long scathing, very specific of what our Marines did and did not do. And that's a, that was great that they had the courage to do that. And the whole moral of the story is, is when, when you're a leader and, or you're, you're personally involved in yourself with a fight, you have to have that mindset of, you cannot give up. Uh, it's painful. It's, it may look like it's, there's no chance of winning. And, uh, and sometimes I don't encourage people to, you know, fight a, in a situation that it is, absolutely impossible but it's a uh, this book is about modern day miracles and how you have to have that mindset and have to have organizations in this case the people that attacked us you know the military the media even congressmen those same organizations I, we formed you know a campaign with lawyers media uh, members of congress and the people you know lobbying their members of congress this has to get fixed and uh all those people allowed us to, to fight and to win. This episode of The Robo Show is brought to you by iron-neck.com. Iron Neck is uh, the world's number one neck strengthening device. You guys don't know, in uh, 2006, I was in Afghanistan and uh, broke my neck. And uh, if you want to read about how, that story, a crazy story of how I broke my neck, uh, it's in my book, An Unfair Advantage. You can go and check it out. But coming back from Afghanistan, 
uh, after that's when I had all my big MMA fights and my neck and the VA wanted to do fusion and I refused to do fusion and I just opted to just strengthen my neck, keep my neck strong. Uh, so since man, all these years fighting through all my fights and MMA and jiu-jitsu, I've always been very important that I keep the muscles of my neck strong because the, the bones in my neck are broken off and so I don't have that stability and so neck strengthening has always been a very important thing to me. I've always just improvised ways to do it using body weight, using different kind of improvised things that I'd make up. But now uh, I don't have to do that anymore because I have an, an iron neck uh, device which helps me to uh, not only strengthen my neck but, uh, but do it in a safe way. The, the way the device works is that you know, it's, it, it's on a rotator so it as you move your neck, the rope, the point of uh, where the tension is actually moves uh, around your head. And so super uh, effective and safe way to strengthen your neck. And whether you have a neck injury or not, I think in, uh, in sports or just in, in, in life, it's really important to have a good, strong uh, neck. If your neck's strong, your hips are strong, your body's going to be strong. And so check it out, iron-neck.com. If you enter promo code RobyShow, uh, R-O-B-I-C-H-A-U-X, my last name. You'll get 10% off. And uh, I'm really doing this because I, I love it myself. And I want everybody out there, especially those with bad necks, to be able to take care of themselves. And so I really thought it was a great product to push out and partner with. And uh, these guys are pretty awesome. They're a Texas-based company. Iron-neck.com. Yeah, I'm, as I read your bio and, you know, the, the readers, when you... You read Fred's bio, it's just, he's really amazing history. And, and me coming out of special operations community, I mean, you really do have amazing history and we're in the right place. It seems like you got to be in a lot of the right units at the right time too. But one of the things, uh, you have 49 medals in the Marine Corps, we, we call this, for those listening in that Marine Corps, we call it a salad bowl. You have quite the salad bowl <laughs> on your chest there. I mean, 49 medals uh, for the Marine Corps specifically is a lot, guys, uh, for those listening. And uh, so I have to ask, like, you know, what's your favorite? What, not not favorite might be the right word, but what's what's the the award that's most uh, significant to you, and why? What's the story behind it? Uh, and and honestly, and to be clear, the because some of those awards were awarded repetitively. You know, if you get a Navy Commendation Medal, you get a third or fourth one. So it's not. 49 separate ones for those listening. It's not like I'm some kind of Mexican general with the it's ridiculous, but uh, so the, the most important is uh, we deployed and I was a platoon commander in 2005 on one of these deployments to Iraq. Um, it, was, it was one, it was a great opportunity because we just had previously with that platoon uh, did a previous deployment into Iraq, but uh on this deployment, it was in the height of the insurgency. This was fourth platoon at First Force Recon Company, and just a awesome, the most talented, most committed uh, Marines that I had served with in combat. And the uniqueness was during that time that was the height of the insurgency. So the Mujahideen was very organized, and if you were out there trying to do stupid things. Uh, with raids, uh, reconnaissance missions, people. I remember, uh, unfortunately, an infantry battalion the sniper team. They got uh, captured. Taliban uh, did some really heinous things to them up uh, by the town of Hit. And uh, but that that deployment meant a lot with those guys. That's at the end of that deployment is when they promoted me to major. Uh, it was just 
that was my time. So, but I had spent six and a half years as a force recon platoon commander, which is not the normal path. And so they awarded me a bronze star because we'd, uh, we'd done tons of raids, uh, in Iraq and a lot of reconnaissance missions. Uh, and they brought all our guys home alive, which was, uh, which was huge. And, uh, you know, we had replaced a platoon from second force at that time that had 22 out of 24 of their Marines that were wounded or killed. And, uh, I mean, it was a dangerous, dangerous time at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you know, looking at your career, you've had some good experiences, some bad experiences. You've been through a, a lot, the political climate over the last 27 years. And since you and I joined the Marine Corps has changed quite a bit. Um, you know, my, my, my youngest son, uh, just ended, you know, 53 years of consecutive service for the Marine Corps for our, our family and 80, 82 years of service to our country over the COVID vaccine. Uh, cause he didn't want to get, he refused to get the COVID vaccine. So the political climate of the military has changed. You know, uh, it's, people are trying to decide, should I serve? Should I not serve? Should my children serve, um, under this administration? All, all these questions are you know, being asked in our, in our country right now, which is really scary to me. I mean, it was even a tough thing for me with my son leaving, leaving the Marine Corps over the vaccine because our nation needs warriors to stand up regardless of who's in the, in the White House. Uh, so what's your take on that? Why should, why should people still serve the Marine Corps, uh, still serve in the military, despite the constant changes and the deterioration of our, our culture and climate? I kind of loaded that question. Like, uh, I'm not, yeah. I don't want to make you assume that you agree with me on the well, the digression of our culture, but yeah, it's a very, very, very important question because, like you said, Chad, you know, we have to have warriors. If we don't, America, you and I have served and we realize how important in our national defense is. It's critical. We have now more than ever uh, countries like Russia who wants, you know, they want additional power and they're trying to test it. And if we just, not just per, are perceived as weak, but we militarily are weak. And, and we are, you know, I, I served for 27 years. And then the last four years, I've, I work for the Marine Corps right now as a civilian. And uh, I see a lot of these changes. And it's, it's discouraging. And it's sort of like, you know, when we were both serving on active duty in uniform, uh, if a leader, whether that's, you know, your officer in charge, or, you know, your non-commissioned officer that's making a call, you know, if they, if, if it's something that, Hey, you know, they're doing something that, you know, maybe they're exhausted. Maybe that's just how the system is leaning. You can't just quit and say, Hey, you know, no way. Uh, I do believe, you know, there has to be a strong voice from the people saying, Hey boss. And I did that. So one of the things in a few bad men, if this wasn't just one ambush in Afghanistan on a separate deployment. And I'd like to mentioned this, you know, we went, after we were cleared, I went back to Afghanistan uh, on another deployment with third recon battalion and the commanding officer, I was his operations officer. A platoon got in, involved in a serious ambush. They got enveloped. Uh, the battalion commander was being extremely indecisive and, you know, we had called it in. So we got all these aircraft pushed to us. And then after 50 minutes of these, this recon platoon getting pinned down, and really, you know, they were in a tough fight. Then he decides, okay, I'll prove some fires. And instead of 
I mean, the only B billet like outside my regular job that I did in the Marines outside the operational forces was out in Yuma, the Marine Corps version of Top Gun controlling aviation ordinance. And yeah, you know, I was giving him my recommendations. Hey, now that we've delayed these guys, the enemy's within 34 meters. We can't use these certain munitions. And he dropped the heaviest munition, a 500 pound bomb, 34 meters away from our platoon. And then uh, also fired two, these HIMARS rockets. They're 675 pound surface fired rockets. And you can't drop these things within 180 meters. This is a, there's regulations. Uh, but he's told me, he said, Fred, I'm willing to sacrifice the lives of these Marines. And I need to make sure you will too on all future occasions. And the point is, when a leader says something that is, uh, and is giving you an order that's an unlawful order, an officer has a duty to disobey. The, uh, you know, so there are certain incidences in the military when somebody's doing something that's illegal, immoral, and unethical. You know, people have to stand up, and that's not just those in uniform. The American people need to realize and put some skin in the game and contact their members of Congress and say, hey. You, we elected you to represent us as our leader, and we cannot have this type of stuff going on. Right now, you, Chad, have seen what's going on in Ukraine, and they're, the Russians are having, they're really suffering from low morale, bad decisions coming from top down, and that can easily happen here in the United States if we continue to go down this path and making these decisions while we're not tested by, but, you know, China, there's countries right now that are building, amassing their forces, China, Iran, North Korea, Russia. And guess what? They're all doing exercises like we do exercises with our allies and partners. They're doing the same thing. China and Russia are doing exercises together constantly. So uh, when we're weak and perceived weak, we're going to get tested and we have to have the best, but we also have to have checks and balances. Sorry for the sermon. Yeah, I no, no, I, I seen the same thing, and it, it crossed my mind while I'm, you know, I'm there in Ukraine, and and uh, and seeing not only just a smaller military, but a civilian force that just wants to defend their homeland. You know, women that are fighting, and farmers, and store owners, and you know, just everybody who's getting out there and fighting, and actually beating a world superpower because of the morale difference. I mean, uh, I mean, the Russian troops have no will. To fight, and uh, and they I mean they have more equipment, they have more resources, but they have no will to fight, and and the difference in there. And I'm like thinking, wow, if America ends up ever ends up in this position to where, yeah, we have you know, the most powerful military in the world, uh, but if we're ever put in a position to where our government puts us to where we don't have a will to fight, I mean, we could be right there where the Russians are. And I mean, obviously in this case, the Russians are the bad guys, but but uh, I mean. It's it's uh it was it was definitely it definitely has been a a lesson in in, in warfare for me to see this because I thought uh, like everyone else thought that in forty eight hours Russia would just dominate Ukraine yes. and uh, that's not only did that not happen but we're seeing them on their heels and uh, they're having to get more and more desperate and more and more radical just to try to win and that's why we're seeing the violence on on civilians that we're seeing you know while we're there. Yes. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lesson in warfare and something that everyone should be paying attention to. So, yep. Especially when we've compromised ourselves economically and we're depending on China so much that some people don't want to say anything until it's too late. And, you know, I live here in Hawaii. 
you, you I know you guys have uh, some of your team there in Texas. You know, they're not going to attack our strong point there in Texas, but it's happened here before, you know, you know, less than 100 years ago with the Japanese. People need to understand that this can and will happen again. China's building, uh, they built literally, you know, pillboxes and they made preparations over 30 years before the attack on 19, in 1941 here in Hawaii. But, uh, you know, that has to be in our brain that we're not so strong that somebody can just, that they can't attack us and they, they can and they like will. It's when we're going to be less prepared. And I think that America thinks this just wouldn't happen in the homeland. Uh, Got to get that out of our minds. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, well Fred, uh, is the book available on pre-order yet? Or if not, when will it be? Chad, it is. You can go on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, search a few bad men, and uh, you can order it. It's uh, This is the cover. I don't even have a copy. This is just a, a decoy. But uh, <laughs> Great they, cover. Yeah, they can order it right now. It's also on audio version. And, uh, you know, if, if some Marines want to direct message me, I said there's pictures, I'll send you the eight primary colors and you can color those pictures for those of us that uh, like to <laughs> use crayons. <laughs> well, uh, and uh, besides the book, where can people follow you and keep up with you? Okay, on YouTube, they can go and uh, type in Fred Galvin, The Commando Show, and they will uh, be able to see uh, several archived videos and i'm uh, going to be putting out some new content there as well right on right on well uh fred it's it great having you on uh like i said i think a lot of people that listen to this show uh i'll be be reading your book uh and uh i'll finish it up myself and i uh, want to get behind it because uh, i think you uh it's a message everyone needs to hear so definitely appreciate you and i uh, look forward to being in touch more yes thank you very much chad i appreciate it and uh thank you for your service and what you've done for our veterans Yes, sir. Yes, sir. God bless. Till next time, guys. 